0: So in chapter 1, we simply learn that we have, we receive this book, this message that God wants to send to his people. He, he has something he wants to share with him, and it comes from uh, the one who loved us and released us from our sins by his blood. That's a great message there in chapter 1, and we see this picture of Jesus uh, in all his glory, Walking in the midst of his churches. And that's what you find in chapters 2 and 3, that he knows where we live. He knows what we face. He knows the circumstances that we face each day. And also there in those chapters, we see that he even knows people by name, even calling one of his servants in one of those churches by name. So he knows you. He knows what your needs are. And he's walking in our midst today. This is not a message about somewhere in the far distant future. This was a message for people that lived in that day. It's a a message for people that live every day who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus is with us. But we look at the events of our world. We look at our circumstances, and sometimes our world seems out of control. But then John had that vision in chapter 4 of God seated on His throne. It's a wonderful, wonderful vision. The events of our world is not out of, are not out of control. The reigning reality is that God is on His throne. And then in chapter 5, we see God holding a scroll sealed with seven seals that no one appears able to open because they're not worthy to open it. And then in the middle of, of the moment... We see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who turns out to be the Lamb of God, walks up and takes the scroll right out of the hand of God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 6, we see things begin to happen as Jesus breaks the seals of the scroll. We see that the events of the future that Jesus holds in his hands will only unfold under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the things that we've said is that that's, that's not anything new really because God has always been sovereign over the history of our world. History is His story and it will continue to be as we move toward the end. And so when you come to the end of chapter 6, as the sixth seal is broken, the, the sun turns black As sackcloth, the moon turns to blood, the sky is split open like a scroll, the stars fall from the sky, and men began to cry out because they're afraid of the wrath of God that's coming on the world. Well, it appears to be coming, but it doesn't come because when we get to chapter 7, what we find instead is four angels that are holding back the winds of God's judgment, and those four angels cannot release the winds of God's judgment, until God's servants are sealed, and they're sealed by basically having the name of God. Chapter 14 tells us what that seal is. It's God's name, and it's the name of the Lamb on their foreheads. They're marked for protection. They're marked for ownership, and we see two multitudes. We see a sealed multitude on the earth, safe from the judgments of God that are going to fall, and we see a saved multitude in heaven. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. But the seventh seal is yet to be opened, and that's where we come to today. And so we get to chapter 8. We're going to begin to read in verse 1. I'm going to read the first five verses, and then we're just going to break this down into about five different sections. It'll be very easy for you to follow. So the sixth seal was broken at the end of chapter six. We read through chapter seven, the seventh seal is yet to be broken, but the seventh seal is broken in chapter eight. When the lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden, ins- a golden censer and much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to earth. And there were peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Maybe this is not what you expected when the seventh seal was broken. When the seventh seal was broken, you certainly expected the end to come, but the breaking of the seals is only the beginning of the end. And instead, we see a new cycle of things, a new group of pictures that help us understand what God is doing. And so the first thing we see is silence in heaven. That's the be, that'll be the first heading of the message this morning, silence in heaven. You see that in verse 1. What, what's this silence about, and what's unusual about it? When I was in high school, uh, I had a chemistry and physics teacher. I took chemistry my 11th grade year, physics my 12th grade year, and our teacher was uh, Mr. Albert Nelson, and I, I liked Mr. Nelson because of the way he conducted his class as you know uh, chemistry and physics students can can sometimes uh, have their own attitudes that they bring with them to class and sometimes we got a little unruly i would say and mr nelson would always bring us back to attention by simply standing in front of the class with his arms crossed with a stone cold silence he would never say a word he would not say class be quiet he would not tap anything he would not say one word he would stand there completely silent until his silence caught our attention and one by one the class would become completely silent his silence was a commanding silence as if to say something is about to happen if things don't change this silence in heaven that we see is also a commanding silence second I suggest to you that it is a rare silence. It's not something that's normal for heaven. You say, Brother Eddie, how in the world do you know that? Well, I know that. But simply because of what the book of Revelation says itself. If you look in chapter 4 and you look at uh, verse 8, there are four living creatures before the throne, each of them having six wings, and they, they, they basically buzz around the throne, and they do not cease to say... Day and night, day and night, day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come 24 hours a day. If there are hours and days in heaven, that's what they do continually. But in chapter 8, there is commanding and rare silence, a half an hour of it. And then not only is this a commanding and rare silence, but it is a holy hush that takes place in heaven because something is about to happen. Something is about to take place. I base that on the passage out of the book of Habakkuk, where in Habakkuk 2.20, the Bible says, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. And so then we see, seven angels he said i saw the seven angels who stand before the presence of god now there are who are these seven angels that's a good question we don't know there there's some extra biblical literature in other words in some books that aren't in the bible we get some names of who these might be but because it's not in the bible we can't say we can only come close to naming one of them and we can name that one because he introduces himself to a man named Zacharias who was married to a woman named Elizabeth who was going to have a son named John the Baptist and when he appeared to Zacharias he said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So we can assume that one of these seven might be Gabriel. We don't know for sure. But what do these angels do? Well they don't do anything. They're given seven trumpets but they do not do anything. Their trumpets are silent just as if Judgment was about to come before, but it didn't come. There are four angels holding back uh, the the judgments of God. Just as if the trumpets are about to blow, they don't blow. There's silence, and they wait because there's another angel, an eighth angel whose identity is also not given. And he approaches the throne of God where there's a golden altar. And at that golden altar, uh, it's the same one we saw in chapter 6, where the souls of those who'd been slain for their testimony rested. They rested beneath the altar, crying out to God, How long, O Lord? When will you act? When will you do something? And in chapter 5, we saw seven golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And so here is this other angel, this eighth angel, and the Bible says much incense is given to him to offer with the prayers of the saints. So now we need to ask a question. Which saints are these? Well, it says so if you look at the verse. It says the prayers of all the saints. That means the prayers of the saints in heaven, the prayers of the saints on earth, the prayers of the saints of the past, the prayers of the saints of the present. And now with one great offering, the smoke of the incense rises up before God with the prayers of the saints. Those are your prayers Those are my prayers. They're the prayers of your grandparents and your great-grandparents, the saints of old and the saints of the future that ultimately will rise up before God. Now, when the seventh seal is broken, the message here is nothing happens until God hears from His people. There's this silence, this holy hush, this collective gasp, in heaven, as the prayers of God's people rise up to God. Verse 5, what does the angel do? He takes the censer, fills it with the fire of the altar, and he throws it to the earth. And when he throws it to the earth, what you're seeing here is a picture. Something is about to happen. There peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. You remember we saw this coming from the throne of God also earlier. These are indications of preemptive providence. God is about to act. He's finally about to answer the collective cry of his people. God is about to do something. So what does this tell us? It tells us just as Jesus taught us. He said men ought always to pray and not to give up. Do you ever feel like it's time to give up praying? That it's time to say God I prayed and prayed and prayed till I can't pray anymore and I don't see you doing anything. That doesn't mean God's not going to do anything. It just means your timing and God's timing are different, that God is listening and God will respond to the prayers of His people. Jesus also taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the angels, the seven angels, await the command from the throne that comes in response to, to the prayers of God's people. It's a beautiful picture that I hope you can see. And then we look get to verse 6, chapter 8, verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Seven trumpets. What in the world do trumpets do? Well, in the Bible, we can do a little quick survey of what happens when trumpets blow. The first time a trumpet appears In the Bible, is in connection with God's appearance on Mount Sinai in chapter 19 of the book of Exodus. In verse 16, it came about on the third day when it was morning. There were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. In other words, simply, it was warning of the approach of God's presence, this trumpet trumpets warned in the battle against Jericho when Joshua was leading the children of Israel against Jericho do you remember they blew trumpets as they marched around the city of Jericho what were those trumpets for well the trumpets we can say were to knock the walls down but we know the trumpets didn't knock the walls down but God did the trumpets were to warn the people in Jericho that the judgment of God was about to fall on them and that judgment came in the Old Testament Trumpets were also blown to announce the anointing of a new king. Do you think that these trumpets might also be blown to announce the anointing of a new king? You say, that's speculation, Brother Eddie. You're just trying to connect dots that aren't there. Well, let me just read you the passage of Scripture that announces the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And this is in chapter 11, verse 15, jumping a little ahead. The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So throughout scripture we see trumpets warn, trumpets announce, and also we see that trumpets gather God's people In Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Paul said basically the same thing in a little different way in 1 Corinthians 15, when he talked about the last trumpet. He said, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Paul did, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The last days will be days of trumpets days of warning, trumpets of judgment, trumpets of victory. Now let's pick up in verse 6 and read through verse 12. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. I suppose they took a big, deep breath. I've never played a trumpet. Couldn't make a sound from one, but maybe you have. They took a big, deep breath bring the trumpets up to their lips and then one by one these angels blow their trumpets verse 7 the first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up verse 8 the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain Burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea that had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Verse 12, The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night uh, in the same way. So I want you to understand as you look at these verses and you read them, if you go back to chapter 6, at the end of chapter 6, it said, The sky split apart like a scroll, the stars fell from the sky, the sun turns black, and the moon becomes blood. The book of Revelation is not a line that, that runs linear this way. There's some cycles that repeat themselves that show us some things that give us pictures of God's coming judgment, not only of God's coming judgment, but of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of trumpets, what kind of warnings do these trumpets give? Well, they, they show us shadows of judgment. Now don't understand these uh, don't underestimate these things. when I call them shadows, I call them shadows because they are tokens so clear and plain that when they come, people will know, have no doubt that these things come from God. You're not going to hear a trumpet blow. The trumpets blow in heaven. and when the trumpets blow in heaven, things take place on earth. Events on earth are initiated in heaven. When seals are broken by the Lord Jesus Christ, things happen on earth because the events unfold under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ and under the authority of heaven, not because men choose to do things, not because world leaders choose to do things, or I choose or you choose, but because God determines that these things should happen. And so let me show you a picture of this from the book of Exodus, a similar picture. Remember, uh, let me just read the passage. Exodus chapter 7, verses 2 through 5, God speaking to Moses, "'You shall speak all that I command you, "'and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh "'that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. "'But I will harden Pharaoh's heart "'that I may multiply my signs and wonders "'in the land of Egypt. "'When Pharaoh does not listen to you,' Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. When these things happen, these things that whatever they are and however they take place, the people who live on earth will know that these have to be from God. You know, Jesus talked about, he talked to the Pharisees who said, you're casting out demons by Beelzebub. He said, no, I'm doing it by the finger of God. You should be able to recognize that this is God's hand at work. And on this day, when these things happen, when these things begin to happen, the people who dwell on the earth will know that these are this is God, this has to be coming from God. Now you'll notice when the six seals were opened, it was partial judgment. A fourth of this and a fourth of that. You'll notice here it's a third. First, when the first trumpet, the first shadow of judgment, again I call it a shadow because a greater judgment is yet to come, touches only the green vegetation. Think of it, a third of all crops, a third of all timber, a third of what the planet needs to produce oxygen and clean the air. This is, this is climate change, but it's climate change that comes from God. And by the way, maybe if there is any, maybe it does. The second shadow of judgment affects the oceans. A third of the oceans become blood, uh, they died and everything in them, apparently it's some kind of natural or cosmic calamity that causes all of this to happen, and one-third of the, all the seagoing vessels are destroyed. We assume that means everyone that's on them. Now, uh, when I say these are natural disasters, they're natural disasters that take place as judgments from God, just like the smaller natural disasters that we see that take place today. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, famines, and epidemics. In the end time, these things will clearly be trumpets calling men to repentance. By the way, they have always been trumpets calling men to repentance. Always. When these things happen, it should remind us That there's a God in heaven who's sovereign over our lives. That our lives are very fragile and at any moment we could find ourselves standing before God. When the third angel sounds his trumpet, judgment falls from the heaven on the fresh waters and on the the rivers. And a a third of them are poisoned so that men die when they drink of them. And the fourth angel blows his trumpet and then you see something happen to the sun. And a, a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars which... By the way, in chapter 6, are not there, but here they are again here just showing us that these are pictures. These are pictures of things that God is trying to tell us. But when men see these things, Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 25, this is what Jesus said, and it's just one simple sentence. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will be frightened by these things, and they will know that these things are trumpets of warning, calling them to repentance, and that they come from God. Now, I remind you that these are not trumpets the world is going to hear, but these are trumpets from heaven that initiate The unfolding of events on earth. We can't even get to chapter 9 this morning that talk about the other three trumpets and the events that we can't, that have never happened before. Nothing has ever happened like them before or ever will. Things that are so frightening that in verse 13, before we get there, we need to look at verse 13. Now, John says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. One time my wife and I were driving through Hamilton, Alabama, and we passed a bank that was about to fail. This is the gospel truth. The bank failed, but before it failed, the day we drove by, there was a celebration of buzzards above that bank like you have never seen. We didn't even know the bank was going to fail. I bet there were, not there? there, there were, I bet, I, I've never seen it before, a hundred buzzards flying directly above that bank that set up on this high hill which is now the city hall in Hamilton Alabama but we thought man that looks really odd that must be some kind of omen of a impending doom and that's what John said i looked up and directly over my head there's this eagle circling like something bad is about to happen and he said woe 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 to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets of the three angels that are about to blow finally i want to share with you the sinner's opportunity and this is the message that you ought to receive from this book your opportunity is an opportunity to repent an opportunity to turn to christ if you never have an opportunity before any of this ever happens to say lord jesus i know that i'm a sinner and i know that i need you in my life to be my savior an opportunity Uh, to, to say, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart. You are tugging at my heart. I sense you calling me. I sense you urging me to turn from my sin and turn to you. Certainly, the Lord Jesus must be saying that to you from the pages of this book. And if he is, how would you respond? Well, one of the things you can do is pray right where you sit and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and I want you to be my Savior. And then you can act on that by coming forward because Jesus never has private disciples in the New Testament. He calls them to follow him publicly to let people know. You can come to the front and say, Brother Eddie, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want people to know that I'm following him, that I'm choosing him because he has called me. I have heard him speaking to my heart. Would you do that? Let's pray together.